Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, your premier podcast for talking about Americans dying in a frozen forest in Germany. Uh, so keep your pants on. <laughs> I'm Joe, and with me today is uh, my co-host Nick. Uh, a sober Nick. Not hungover Nick, uh, not yes. spitting into a bottle. Uh, is, is it a bottle? It sounds like a bottle. Uh, today it's a sparkling ice orange mango bottle. I, I'm trying to like, it, it's bad that we've been... Um, recording for so long that i'm trying to figure out what containment vessel you're spitting tobacco well, into back back in the audio. studio we used to sit like face to face yeah it was whatever beer bottle is laying there there's always was easy a few to come by. there's always a few yeah there's a shit ton i currently have several cans of uh empty crush from 10 barrels sitting around me though i don't Ooh. i don't dip anymore um oh god I quit i haven't had crush in so long I've never dipped as long as we've been doing the show. I, I quit like 10 years ago. Texas has the worst beer selection. I don't know. Like they have like specialty stores and stuff. Hawaii's beer selection is actually pretty bad. Really? Yeah. Just because like we have uh, on island brewers and stuff who are good. I'm not saying like now people from Hawaii who are listening to this, you have to understand I came from the Pacific Northwest. Every, oh, everything amazing. is second tier to that. Um Amazing. It's uh, it, it. I mean, the fact is, a lot of those microbrews simply don't make it here because, like, unless you're bought by a large corporation or distribution network, you simply can't afford it. If I could find some of that shit that you gave me, like the apple pie, oh my god! Oh, that yeah, that was so fucking good. Uh, I mean, there's like Kona breweries here; they're good, they're fine. Um, but it's certainly a step down from what I'm used to. Um, now you know who actually you know who did have beer. Uh, uh, is the soldiers fighting in the Hurtkin forest? Because we're in good, part two. Transition. <laughs> I forgot that the last episode ended with uh, a sergeant assaulting an objective and getting drunk. <laughs> I didn't. That <laughs> was awesome. We were recording this one day apart. Uh, that doesn't speak good things for my brain. Now, um, when we left you last week, the U.S. Army decided to ignore all sense and tactics and throw themselves into the battle of the Hurtkin Forest, which had gone shockingly well for them as they quickly advanced six, mi- six miles in and took the town, all without the Germans knowing what the fuck was going on. Yeah, you get alcohol, free watches, fucking yeah, all- robbing, looting. <laughs> like it, It's like the, the, the pyramid of a soldier's, uh, like, you know how we have like the nutritional pyramid or whatever it's called? Oh, yeah. It, that is, um, that's like the the soldiers, except it's like ninety percent alcohol, and the top part are just looted goods. <laughs> uh, now, how many of those looted goods made it out alive? Not many, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I don't think. Um, I'm gonna say uh, I would not like to be anybody who got a sick, I don't know, German Rolex. I don't know the fuck makes German like watches. Like ten of them, yeah. 
just all the way up to his elbows. I got Johnson's arm. It's just filled with Rolexes. <laughs> That's how I know it's Johnson. <laughs> I'll never forget you and how much you loved stolen watches. Um, how much do you love time zones? <laughs> now, outside of the calm nougaty center of the village of Shevenhut, uh, oh. whose name I am assuredly pronouncing incorrectly, <laughs> The rest of the army was about to be thrown into one of the worst meat grinders in all of the Western Front of World War II. About nine miles sh- south of Shevenhut, the 39th Regiment launched an attack against the town of Lammersdorf, uh, which was just on the edge of the forest. Unlike before, the Germans were not caught by surprise and were ready and waiting to defend against their new American visitors. The town was overlooked by a hill, which the Germans had dug into with concrete and log bunkers. Uh, so, like, yeah. It's not the type of bunkers I want to see. You'd never want to be attacking uphill, and you certainly never want to be attacking uphill in the middle of a forest at a fortified enemy position. Yeah, they have the high ground. With no like air support, no armor support either. Remember, because, like, we yeah. talked about last episode, the tanks, they're there. They're just slow as fuck. Um, so. From these positions, the Germans could comfortably pour fire onto the unprotected American infantry. At this point, and at least normally by this point of the war, American forces would simply hunker down and wait for artillery and armor support, uh, also air support, only moving forward when superiority was achieved, uh, which was generally quite easy for the Americans to do by 1944. American infantry forces were not used to what amounted to a fist fight with other infantry forces if they could help it. It went against all doctrine and command, and only a total fucking idiot would put them into this situation. I would fucking hate... I, if I get punched in the nose, I'm done for. Yeah, that shit hurts. I'm, I don't like it. you seen my nose? I, I don't take shots there well. I, I, I take a lot no. of them, mind you, but I don't take shots there well. I've had it fractured. It's awful. Yeah, it fucking sucks. It never stops hurting. It, like, I've, I've been... I've had my nose broken a few times. You know what? It sucks the same amount Ooh, what? every time. Yeah. If, I thought it was once. No, several times. Uh, actually, the, You know what? Actually, it looks like several <laughs> To be, to, in my defense, in the defense of the small person who broke my nose while playing uh, uh, frisbee golf, or not frisbee golf, frisbee football, uh, uh, was it? It, it, when they broke it the last time, they actually made it look much better. <laughs> oh, nice. Because it was broken very far to the left, and, and when their head impacted my face, it was to the right. So, oh. yeah. This is a yeah, shout out to that person. His name I can't remember. It's like a fucking 19th century fix to it. Yeah. You, you fixed a face broken by violence with more violence. Yeah. I will not attempt to fix it any further, however. Um, now, it, like I said, this uh, fighting infantry with nothing but infantry was a bad idea. and It was against all command and doctrine at the time. But in this situation, they found themselves in because they were led by just that specific fucking idiot that would do it. So... Stripped of any kind of support, the Americans would have to attempt to outmaneuver the German emplacements, you know, with like a flanking maneuver or whatever, which remember, flanking's for pussies, according to General Hodges. Um, Clearly, obviously. And Hodges was smiling down on them that day because flanking was impossible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) For example, normally like a weapon squad uh, or, you know, a massed riflemen, a group of riflemen would put down as much suppressing fire as they could onto these bunkers. Well, another element which had a maneuver around. It's like the most basic infantry maneuver you can imagine, right? Right. Uh, impossible. So, like, 
You couldn't flank. The hill was steep. Did they not have guns? <laughs> the one thing they did have was guns. <laughs> okay. Uh, the hill was very, very steep, and the sheer number and density of trees slowed down any possible maneuvers and firing positions. Uh, soldiers also discovered that when they finally did get close enough to the bunkers, they simply could not blow them up. Their satchel charges popped uselessly against the steel and earth reinforced concrete or logs. They were simply not much, powerful enough. <laughs> could you imagine how much of a downer that is? Like, you may get all the way up there just to realize, oh, fuck. This, we're not high enough of a level for this boss fight. Like, yeah, you got to go back out to the woods and grind a bit, get your infantry <laughs> yeah. levels up, and go back in, <laughs> fight some trash mobs. <laughs> yeah. Your squad sucks. You got to re rule this infantry squad's dog shit. It's like Company of Heroes. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, you know, every movie and, like, book and a piece of popular media shows, like, one person's feudal last charge to get the satchel charge through the, like, or against the bunker, only to find out that's, like, like Nicolas Cage and Windtalkers. It's like, nothing. Like, oh, fuck. Oh, well, hopefully he's dead so he doesn't realize that he got wounded for nothing. (laughs) Maybe the concussion fucked him. (laughs) So they decided, fuck it, they're going to call in artillery. Um, Now, this is... A problem. Uh, their ability to call in artillery was very hampered, and the Germans had pre-bracketed every single kill zone that they had prepared uh, with their own artillery. Uh, remember, like they all of they had pruned away all the trees uh, in very specific areas, so they could attack while the attackers were still looking upwards directly into a dense forest. Uh, you know, uh, we would call these target reference points now. Probably, I wasn't an artilleryman. I don't know. Um, and tanks, you'd have TRPs uh, in a defensible position. So, like, if you know you an, an an enemy went into an area you knew where it was going, rather than like over there by the tree or whatever, you'd have TRP one, TRP two. And, That's an awful call out. Yeah, in a forest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and the Germans had all of these advances pre-bracketed, so they could just immediately call up their artillery. The artillery knew exactly where to attack, and the Americans started getting turned into fucking bone shards. <laughs> I would hate to get that call. They're outside. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're they're everywhere. Um, and so the problem was that the U.S. was so busy getting the shit shelled out of them, they couldn't call an artillery uh, because they're too busy running away and trying to find cover. Uh, the battle at Lammersdorf turned into a stalemate within hours. The Americans couldn't evict the Germans, and the Americans were simply too stupid and did not have orders to retreat. And also, the Germans lacked the manpower for a proper counterattack. So, because remember, they're meant to be defending. They're not right. going to leap out of their prepared defenses and fight this group that outnumbers them. So they just sat there all day and waited for another frontal assault to come to try to kick them out of their positions, which is exactly what happened. A German officer said, quote, the enemy attacked five or six times. The regularity Jesus. was amazing. The more so each time and was repulsed mostly with great losses. For the latter reason, the enemy requested a short one-day armistice to recover the wounded and bury the dead. This was granted. Nevertheless, the attack was repeated the following day at the same time. <laughs> same time, same place? See you All tomorrow, right. buddy! That's some World War One shit. Like, oh, it's like 8 a.m. Here they come to raid the trench or whatever. Like, incredibly stupid decision-making processes all around. Except the Germans who just had to sit there and shoot at them as they came up to the fucking hill. Maybe fucking TBI fuck their fucking decision making. Now, here is my theory on how badly this went and why. Now, there's, I was never an officer, so like, I'm not sure of how this 
exactly works. I was a very low-ranking NCO for a short amount of time. <laughs> um, Good job, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, here is my theory in leadership, which is not necessarily history. Uh, we've talked about leaders like this before, like Cadorna. Um, who just feed people into the battlefield equivalent of oh, a yeah. wood chipper without a care in the world. Classic. Um, and for all of its flaws, and there's many flaws, this doesn't generally happen in American military history. Rarely do we catch ourselves in a Gallipoli or an Isanzo River. Um, our quagmires are entire wars, not single battles. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'll repeat myself a hundred goddamn times about this. This entire command structure and the ability to lead soldiers and how they're leading these soldiers and their failure to do so falls squarely in Courtney Hodges. Um, Someone out there probably disagrees. That's fine. I don't care. Um, The reason for this goes back to a joke that he that uh, has made rounds on the Internet for as long as the Internet has been a thing. This is not a real document and it's apocryphal at best. but I'll read it anyway, because it actually makes very good sense. So a Nazi officer says, quote, the reason the American military does so well is because they're wa- because war is chaos and the American military practices chaos on a daily basis. A Soviet officer says, quote, one of the serious problems with planning against American doctrine is that the Americans don't read their own manuals and, fo- and feel no need to follow their doctrine. And the American says, quote, if we don't know what we're doing, the enemy can't anticipate our future actions. Now, this, well, that sounds really good. <laughs> very accurate. Um, and while this is obviously a joke, uh, within that joke, kind of, is American military doctrine. Um, and by that, I mean we generally have a very loose idea of doctrine and leave how to accomplish those goals to junior leaders and, and other junior leaders on the ground, empowering much uh, lower ranking people to make decisive choices. In the heat of the moment. And as long as they accomplish that mission, generally nobody gives a fuck on how they do it. Uh, it's like small unit leadership, right? We don't have yeah. a very top-heavy military. You know, I've seen a little bit of that when I was in Japan. Japan is very much guilty of that, yes. Um, uh, and they're not it, alone. It was not to this scale. Uh, we were moving chairs. <laughs> and it required three officers in order to do it. It took them forever just for us to move shit to the next building to figure out what was going on. Yeah, I mean, almost a whole day, you know, for obviously there is detrimental effects to this sometimes where junior leaders have much more power in the U.S. military than they would in probably any other outside of some NATO countries follow the same command structure, whatever. Not going to get into it too much. But what happened is all of that is kind of how the U.S. won the Western Front, right? Um, Or helped win the Western Front. Hodges crushed all of that. Um, mm. Remember, he if you question him in any way, um, you were fired. You're out the fucking door. And that kind of attitude had a trickle-down effect because the only kind of trickle-down that ever works is bad. Um, you know That command climate that he built meant that if anybody acted independent of, of Hodge thought, uh, you're fucking done, man. Your career's ruined, probably. Yeah. You get demoted. I totally fired, remember whatever. our guy that wanted some time off for his kid dying. Yeah, exactly. Like Even the most minute shit, uh, if it required you to do something that he did not want you to do, you're fucking done, man. And remember, he thought the simple idea of flanking or not attacking every enemy that you see if it didn't have a purpose was pussy shit, for lack of a better term. 
So like he killed the whole like he took American doctrine and throttled it back into World War One in Hurricane <laughs> Forest. Um, you know it was a great war. The last one we had, the one that Let's we didn't repeat. do a whole lot in, but also died by the tens of thousands within a year. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like this idea that like no, we have to continually frontally assault this dug in German position every single day at the exact same time. Like that has to be fucking Hodges is doing. Now, say anybody was like, "Hey guys, I have an I like that meme where they're all like at the boardroom where that one guy oh, has yeah. the idea and immediately gets thrown out the window." Like. Hey, maybe we shouldn't throw our boys against a cliff face full of machine guns and Nazis every day. Maybe like let's figure out a way to work around it. Maybe like attack in a different direction. Outmaneuver. They're defending. They can't move. They have fucking bunkers. They're stuck there. Like you know, the ball is literally in our court. Let's do something with this. Uh, you'd immediately get fucking done. You're fired. Sent off the Tossed line. Out even. The building. Yeah, immediately yeeted out the window. Uh, not to mention, remember, we talked about how Hodges was a micromanager down to a fucking platoon. So, like, there's no way that these divisional commanders were going to skirt around his plan of just ramming your head against the wall until something changed and him not know about it. Like, oh, how'd you achieve the objective? Oh, we flanked. Pack your shit. Get the fuck out. <laughs> so one divisional commander actually had a, a pretty good... Um, uh, 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 idea on on what happened here and what how the command climate he created poisoned an entire army um because remember he's an army commander <laughs> like right. uh so he said that he created a command climate of jumpy scared yes men who couldn't and wouldn't say his plan was definitely not working <laughs> so instead of oh, trying wow. anything else the regiment stayed there throwing themselves against a german position uphill for two weeks oh and even then the battle ended because the Germans simply withdrew when their ammunition ran low and retreated to another supported fortified position. You know, that whole uh, defense in depth thing, which Hodge should have known about because that was in World War One, And the Germans did just that to incredibly, like, horrible outcomes for the amount of dead and wounded. If this guy gets the after action report and he's just like, yep, we won. Good one, boys. Did we uh, defeat the enemy? Uh, sure. They're not there anymore. It's like it's exactly like um, Napoleon when he invaded Russia. We took the field. Yeah, but the field is full of our corpses. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Uh, the way I like it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the 39th Regiment would not be the only ones finding themselves being torn apart. A few miles away, the 60th Regiment was sent to advance into the town of Simaroth, Again, another name. I uh, I apologize to the fine villagers of the Hurtgen Forest for mispronouncing your town names. Um, and almost immediately upon advancing, everything went to shit. Uh, oh, I imagine. Simarath was def- uh, defended by another ridge. Again, because the Germans knew how to defend. Uh, like, find a high place to shoot from. They have to attack up here, and we can continue to shoot at them. It's like, it's not so much that the Germans were good at defending as... Literally anyone defending would have done this, and you should have thought right. about them doing this. Like this, this is what anyone would have done. So upon attacking this fortified ridge, the soldiers found something even worse that those uh, at the last attacking unit did not have to worry about. The radios didn't work. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> 
Those radios are awful. I will say that. Those radios are terrible. Yeah, I mean, I assume because like our radios today kind of fucking suck, right? Like military radios throughout history kind of blow. Like we have multi-million dollar satellite linked fucking encrypted radio sets now that cannot speak from one valley in Afghanistan to another. But if I pick up my cell phone, it works perfectly fine. Yeah, guys go, how do I fill? Yeah. Can anybody fill? You have to use the, uh, I know we used to use the ANCD. I know it's something newer now. But like, does anybody know how to use this thing? Oh, whatever. Fuck it. We're leaving. Oh, that fucking Game Boy thing that hooks up to it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're talking about Yeah. And I, I think I used it my last tour. And honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. There was like 18 <sighs> buttons on the fucking thing. And they taught me how to use two. Now, obviously, military radio is, again, a crapshoot. Roll the dice. But the dense tree growth made their shitty old-timey radios even worse. Now, this is bad, obviously. You can't communicate. But it's actually worse than you think. So think of this at, like, a small unit level. Normally, in a good uh, situation, you call back to command. You tell them what's going on, you know, using your radio. Um, and tell them, you know, how, how your attack is going, which in my opinion, is actually not the most important thing a radio is good for. A radio is good for calling in support or organizing other units around you to uh, organize an attack, right? Uh, you know, for interunit communication. Sounds good. Yeah. You know, when you say if you happen to be attacking up a fucking ridge line. So at this point, units attempted to disregard the radios because they're finding out that they don't work and then going back to the old way of organizing over long distance, which is Hand and arm signals, something that I don't know is taught anymore. Uh, I know I learned it in 2005, but like I'm old. Um, now, here comes problem number two the trees again. They're so fucking thick that remember, visibility is only limited to just a few feet. So, as soon as platoons spread out to you know, not make themselves such an easy target or to try to maneuver on this ridge line, company commanders and all their subordinate commanders lost the ability to control their units because you couldn't even fucking see each other doing hand and arm signals despite being like five feet away from one another. This fucking blows. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Die Murder Forest. <laughs> yeah. Um, thankfully, a group of soldiers finally found a trail that they could follow, which was away from the trees and could lead up to the ridgeline. And then they also found it to be so heavily mined they couldn't escape it. Yeah, that sounds awful, too. <laughs> like, oh, look, the one trail. This couldn't possibly be bad. It's one of those things uh, that you, you see, like, this is too good to be true. We should probably stay off the fucking road, right? Right. I mean, you're pretty much... I remember always being told, like, stay off the fucking hardball roads. You're an easy target. Also, there's probably landmines on it. <laughs> and they us. They immediately started getting blown up. Uh, and then the Germans started firing what is people probably remember the most out of all of the um, like letters and stuff that I read when it came to veterans of the hurricane force that is air bursting artillery. Um, so the artillery would blow up in midair, shattering trees into thousands of tiny splinters and then firing those splinters into the infantry, turn the entire woods into a frag grenade. That's not a good time. <laughs> it's real, real bad. Uh, after reinforcements were slowed down so badly by the terrain that a distance that would normally only take a few hours or maybe a day instead took the better part of a week. 
In order, Holy fuck. <laughs> in order for tanks to advance through the forest, soldiers had to manually chop down trees in front of them to make a oh, path, fuck. which immediately opened them up for snipers and machine gun bullets. Uh, because they're like, hey, look, they're clearing a path for the tanks. We should shoot them. <laughs> Fucking losers. <laughs> the German bunkers on this ridgeline uh, were so heavily reinforced that when the Americans finally did get a chance to call in artillery, didn't do shit to it. Um, <laughs> 155 millimeter artillery uh you know generally it is not a um what's the way i've heard this explained it's not an a, a letter addressed specifically to you it's to a to whom it may concern type situation right, uh, where right. just like it you know it lands amongst the enemy and causes chaos well unless the artillery got a direct hit on a bunker it did not damage or blow them up in any way which, if you've ever called an artillery, even in a simulator, um, getting a direct hit is fucking insanely hard to do. Uh, also, it, it it's not skill as much as 100% luck. Because remember, these guys' radios really don't work. So, like, walking in artillery, again, not even sure that's a thing they did all the time back then, rather than just sending coordinates. But, like, you have to, like, be very, very good at being a forward observer and also very, very lucky in order to drop an artillery round directly onto a bunker. That is, you know, maybe three people big. Right. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't sound so good. No, I don't. I, I do not like the idea of being here. I'm still not understanding why they pull out. But then again, I do understand because the guy's kind of a dick. Yeah, he's not a good he's not a good uh, uh, general there. Um, now, and some people said that after um, it took like a dozen attempts of calling an artillery to actually land direct hits on these bunkers. Now, unlike before, the Germans were not willing to pull back and you know to other defensible positions. They actually sent reinforcements uh, for to hold the positions, and the Americans weren't really sure why. Um, like they're like, I don't understand. Why do they continue to defend this place? We clearly have them beaten. Well, like one commander even said they were so stupid they didn't know they were defeated. What? And like honestly, at this point, I think this is like a Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man situation. Like you're both just oh, savaging <laughs> each other in the fucking forest. Now it was these guys are idiots. It was now October, uh, and from the sixth to the sixteenth, uh, from that the time between the sixth and the sixteenth, the ninth division had gained a whopping three thousand yards of forest. You you want to oh guess how many people that cost them? 7,000. I don't fucking know. 4,500 men killed, wounded, or missing. Jesus Christ. I was the, I was joking about going like higher than 1,000. If you if you quickly do the math in your head, you'll understand how insane the sentence is. Hodges was comfortable paying more than one man per yard gained because flanking was some wuss-ass shit. And those forests Jesus had to be taken. Jesus Christ. Yes. <laughs> it's just like... So pantly nuts, like this is like Kadorna shit or you know Saddam shit during the Iran Iraq War. Absolutely. But that was Courtney Hodges, he's American general, retired. At least he's in a hotel. Yeah, he's he's at the spa spa still. Uh, someone said that like at most he visited like a, a like a rear command position. Like, he never went even remotely close to the front. Why? Why would I do that? I have uh, my government stipend of gin waiting for me. Well, uh, my excuse is, Colin. <laughs> now, in some areas of the forest, Americans had broke through a bit. By breakthrough, I don't mean it in the traditional sense of some like victorious event with like, haha, we finally have them, boys. 
but instead some American units had simply made it through the horrible line of bunkers, uh, kind of like tripped over their own dick and the Germans didn't notice them. Really? In one case, they got within three hours of the town of Schmidt, uh, which the Germans assumed was the American target because that was their entire center of operations in the area and where some dam controls happened to be. Because remember, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Germans assume that they're coming for the, the Ruhr dams and the Americans are several months away from figuring out that those are important because <laughs> it's only October. The, the, they don't... They don't figure out those are strategically important until December. Meant to do it. Yep. The Germans assumed the Americans were making a break for the dam controls. And in reality, they weren't. And they didn't give a shit. Army Intel had picked up a German plan once upon a time that threatened they could flood the forest and wreck everything below them. However, another Intel report said it wouldn't cause a biblical flood, like people were afraid, but instead localized flooding that would take a couple days or a week to dissipate. Nothing that you really have to worry about. Something they don't have to construct like an arc for? No, not even. It, it wouldn't even like hurt their advance. Like, oh, I mean, we're already invading like the Ruhr Valley. Yeah, let's put a kibosh on it for a week. It's fine. All right. Uh, Corps of Engineers General Simpson told General Hodges that he should probably flank towards Schmidt to capture the dams. Uh, but Hodges again refused to budge. He told Simpson that the dam reservoirs were half empty which was either a straight-up lie or a willful misreading of the intel uh, that said that they're rapidly refilling at a rate that would make them full within a few weeks. So he, This guy's awesome. Yeah, he, he literally went with the glass-half-empty version of that. Like, no, nah, it's fine. It's still empty. Like, yes, but it's rapidly refilling. Hey, but it's not Shit just full flies now. out of his mouth. That's yeah. <laughs> what it seems like. Now, at, at the current course of the battle, that meant they would be very full uh, before the Americans captured the area, if they ever did. Because <laughs> at this rate, remember, 3,000 yards. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bit of a pipe dream. too good. Now, after the Battle of the Hurricane Forest, uh, General Omar Bradley just lied um, about all of the plans and purpose of the battle saying that the entire point of the renewed October pushes into the forest, mostly the botched attack on that ridgeline, was to capture the dams. It wouldn't be another month until uh, Hodges finally changed his plan to attempt to create uh, or attempt to create a force specifically to capture the dam, a plan that Bradley would not approve until December. Uh, so Omar Bradley is lying. Uh, cool. So people are okay with Hodges. I'm still just... He's not fired. He's absolutely... He, that's what I'm saying. No. Like, people are just okay with this. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, that, that's fine. This, yes, we understand that the uh, the tree of an entire forest of liberty must sometimes be soaked and watered with the blood of patriots. And by patriots, I mean that entire regiment of infantry. That tree blew up. All of those trees exploded, and now all of our men are dead. <laughs> yeah. uh, and So even when Hodges did finally submit his plan to Bradley to attack Schmidt specifically... It was not the flanking attack uh, around it that the engineers, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers General recommended. Uh, It was, again, a massive frontal assault. That's what I would do. By mid-October, the 9th Division was officially combat ineffective after losing thousands of people with the reward of less than two miles of absolutely devastated and useless force of no tactical importance. The 9th was then replaced by the 28th Division of the Pennsylvania National Guard, um, known as the Keystone, or I think they're also like the, the Bloody Bucket or whatever. Is that the red? Yeah, yeah, that's the red one, right? Yep, I know what you're talking about. 
Now, the I know a lot of people are probably curious about the National Guard being involved in World War II. They were heavily involved in World War II. Oh, yeah. Uh, most people don't understand that. I mean, also, like, every time I deployed, my replacement unit was a National Guard unit. So, like, you know, they, they're getting fucked up in dumb battles just like we are. <laughs> they just have to leave their day job to do it. I don't want to be associated with a unit known as the bloody bucket. Yeah, like, whose blood is the bucket full of? Uh, yeah, like good news. It's yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now the uh, Pennsylvania National Guard unit had been fighting for uh, months everywhere uh, in other places. Uh, and while this normally means they would be combat hardened uh, like veterans, it actually didn't. The 28th had taken very heavy casualties, and while they were at strength, uh, that strength newly came from a bunch of freshly arrived replacements who were trained just fine, but had no experience doing much of anything. <laughs> Having... That's not something I want to hear. Yeah, like, if you're in a unit where nobody actually remembers each other's names, there's a problem. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody who survived the last offensive is now a sergeant. <laughs> um... <laughs> Now, at not having learned their lesson, the 28th's 5th Corps was reinforced with tanks from the 707th Tank Battalion, a unit that would go down to history for being almost entirely destroyed during the Battle of the Bulge, a different topic for a different series. I thought that was going good. Like, oh, they're getting tanks, that's good. Well, they try. Uh, for now, the 707 uh, and the 28th uh, would Voltron together and figure out how to overcome the, ger- the German defenses that had repulsed everybody else. Unfortunately, neither the tankers nor the grunts really knew how to work together. Uh, Tank Commander Lieutenant Raymond Flieg commented, quote, You never know we were in the same army. We were married up with the infantry on the run. There's no coordination or communication of the routes of attack whatsoever. (laughs) Cool! (laughs) And this might, like, be weird um, for some people, but, like, I can speak for, like, the 21st century... Um, tank school where like we're not trained at all to operate with infantry like that's something you're just expected to learn on the fly or maybe training later on I assume tank school in 1944 was much more bare bones than that um, and, oh, I believe and same goes for infantry school uh, they almost certainly not taught how to work in hand to hand with tanks except like hide behind them they stop bullets yeah <laughs> As the 28th entered the battlefield, everyone is excited. Officers and NCOs noted that the soldiers were glad they got to be the ones, they believed anyway, to be the unit that finally would knock the Germans out of the fight in the Hurricane Forest. And, oh, man. And you could tell by my laughter that that does that not sucks. happen. <laughs> <laughs> An excitement that quickly faded when they got to the positions to relieve the 9th, which had to look like absolute shit by this point. Now, thankfully, we have a first-hand account. Uh, according to Sergeant Earl Berghart, uh, the dead and dying had been abandoned in the open in the field where the, they still lay amongst the debris of thousands of shattered trees, and all of oh, the fuck. grass and dirt had been churned black by the fire of artillery. <laughs> They're literally walking into scorched hell. Like, yay, boys, let's go to... Oh, <laughs> oh, shit, let's get the fuck out of here. Home by Christmas, fuck yeah, <laughs> we got this. However, the Germans' main weapon, that being the terrain, had been effectively nullified in the sector. They had shelled the hell out of the ninth for so long they blew down huge swaths of the forest, opening paths for tanks to advance directly through them for the first time since the battle had started. (laughs) 
Like, at least they don't got a hand chop shit. This is like legitimately like the home. Like you ever watched the Simpsons episode where Homer learned how to box? Oh yeah, he just takes fucking hits. Yeah, he just gets punched in the face continuously until the enemy gets tired, then nudges them over. This is what yeah. just happened. Like, haha, you've shelled us so hard, you have nothing more to blow us up with because all the trees are already inside our dead and wounded. Got you right where we want you. Weird flex. <laughs> As they assaulted towards the hamlet of Vosinek, the tankers learned a horrible, horrible lesson. Their guns couldn't destroy the German bunkers either. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fucking letdown. You think you're going to do fucking leaps and bounds through this forest with all these new guys. Satchels don't work. Oh, shit. Oh, we got tanks. Oh, those don't fucking work. <laughs> Come on, guys. We're going to do tanker shit. Oh, oh no. Uh, so they actually life hack. They figured out something they could do. Drive directly up to the bunkers and put the barrel to the bunker and pull the trigger, <laughs> which did work. <laughs> I would fucking hate to be in that bunker just to see that. Uh, like, uh, guys, it's still coming. Just like fucking the bunkers open hole with a tank gun and pumping around into it. This finally. Can you imagine that? Just like sitting down in the in the hole, reloading, maybe talking to your guys. Like, hey, this is going pretty well. It's just a barrel starts sticking through. Sticks through it. Like, oh man. <laughs> no, it's like Jurassic Park. If you don't move, oh, they can't yeah. see you. Yeah, tanker's vision is emotion based. Um, a girl. <laughs> Uh, this did work, uh, but unfortunately, blowing up these bunkers one at a time wasn't a back-breaking attack by any means. Instead, the Germans did what they always did. They simply withdrew to another position. The Ameri- I'm surprised the tanks didn't get fucked up doing this. Uh, they probably did. Almost certainly. You can't point-blank someone with a main gun of a tank without doing some kind of damage to the tank itself. I imagine. And, like, even the crew, that had to hurt, because, like, there's no... I'm not really sure to explain this. There's, like, no buffer between the open barrel... And the inside of a tank, like you lower the breach to put a round in, and that's just like an open conduit to the outside. Like a cannon is a, is to this day not a very high tech piece of technology. Uh, so, like by firing that, I feel like the overpressure rushing back into the barrel probably <laughs> fucking hurt. I don't know. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, these guns are much smaller than what I'm used to, but I still don't want to experience that. No, and Shermans aren't comfortable. At all. No, even before you're getting blown up, they already suck. Um, now, the Americans also learned that the ridge along Valsenac, where they had set up shop, uh, was badly exposed. And the Germans did know that because they began employing the tried-and-true defense-in-depth strategy. So they pulled back and unleashed an artillery bombardment against the men who had assaulted the ridge in Valsenac. That would last for 90 hours. Oh, now, the reason that the Americans didn't retreat or move off of that ridge was uh, they were supposed to secure the flank for soldiers making a push towards Schmidt, which was captured without much of a fight, actually. Um, but Oh, good on them. Yeah. Uh, unlike Vosnack, which had the trees blown apart, making it easy for armor to support them, Schmidt was still intact. This meant they had a largely infantry force in the town that stormed in, who were then supposed to await armored reinforcements as... I assume, like, civilization characters, they slowly nipped away at the forests uh, with hand axes. Hmm. But they were moving so slowly, there's just no way they could make it. Um, the one thing that the army could do was send in M29 weasels. Are you familiar with those? Oh, my God. 
Yeah. It's a so for people who aren't armored nerds like us, it's a very small tracked vehicle with no armor whatsoever. Um they were used to ferry weapons, uh ammo and food up to the defenders, but like they were not fighting platforms. And I imagine uh people this thing is very small. Yeah, it's not it's not even bringing a ton of food or ammo. Like it can't be. Um, no, it's like I think it only seats three people. <laughs> it's like using Maybe a, a Humvee to bring food and ammo. Like, okay, sure, but also that's not that much. Like, we need a flatbed. Well, it's, it's like those people that go, "That's a tank because it's tracked." <laughs> <laughs> this is as this is as much of a tank as if you put tracks at a golf cart. They, they look, <laughs> yes. they look kind of like if I went yes. to tank school and they're like, "You're driving the weasel." I just fucking shoot myself in the foot. Um, oh, that would be sucky. Like you go to like you're going to tank school. This, this, and that. Oh yeah, the Sherman's sweet. They assign you the weasel. I mean, it's exactly what happened to me. Except after I graduated, like you have to go to striker school now. They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which thankfully I never had a fucking use. Um, so yeah, the 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 most armor support that the troops in uh, Schmidt could hope to get is. A tracked golf cart with, I guess, aluminum siding uh, for armor. Um, now, the next morning, knowing the Americans were probably still trying to reinforce the positions and also knowing that their tanks couldn't be there yet, the Germans launch a massive counterattack, which you know what they brought? They brought armor. <laughs> oh, they had that in there? Oh, yeah. That sucks. Which the Americans found out in a horrible uh, timing of events that their bazookas and landmines did nothing against the Mark V Panther tank. All right. Uh, they found out that because like, like, you know, bazookas are widespread. So is anti-tank mines. But they're like, you know, even in the best of circumstances, you're not supposed to deploy a bazooka against the front armor of a tank. That is the most armored part of a tank side. Still not great. Preferably the rear. Right. Um, Ass end. And that's still the case today. Uh, or the top, which is why, like, the javelin exists. Um, but they found out that no matter what they did with their bazooka, it wouldn't do shit except maybe blow the tracks off of it. <laughs> which has to be that really was- disheartening when you're just like, tink, and it just bounces off like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> I, th- I didn't think they'd use their tank. I thought they'd put them in, like, stationary. Uh, they uh, they usually did use them as emplacements, but they also really wanted to retake Schmidt. So they're like, all right, roll the tanks out. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I, mean, the, I didn't think they'd do that. The best anti-tank weapon, at least in this era, is another tank, and they don't have any of those. So they knew, like, we can rush in with our armor, kick them out of Schmidt, and maybe pull them back or, you know, set them back into static defense. Um, but when this happened, there was no orderly withdrawal in the American ranks. It was a panic route through the woods. Uh, the, an entire battalion... With mines in it still? Uh, some of them, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, that's awful. I imagine as some people panic, like, like sprinting for their life through the woods, they just happen to find one that nobody else had found at that point. Which has to be like, you know, maybe it doesn't matter because you can't tell the difference because you're dead. But like, they're also like, I'm away from the tanks. Thank God, there goes your leg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, like, I just to underline. This was not like, oh, we're getting pushed back. We need to leave. This is like a, a, as much of a panic withdrawal as I've seen in American forces during World War II. An entire battalion abandoned and like their wounded and stuff behind, leave in like uh, people that just couldn't keep up and left over 100 of them to be captured. 
Oh, fuck, that sucks. I don't have to outrun the Germans. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, about a mile away, the German counterattack hit the advanced American position near the Kahl River, which did have armor on it. There's only about three Sherman tanks had managed to pull up and reinforce the infantry as five more had broken down along the way, which tracks. Uh, the tanks were commanded by Ray Flieg, uh, who was ordered uh, to move up and engage the oncoming German armor, mostly worried that if they continued withdrawing, the Germans would just keep pushing and pushing until the Americans are pushed completely out of the forest. Uh, they succeeded. Sounds like a win. Yeah. Now, Ray Flieg succeeded only because a badly trained German tank crew uh, happened to be the, uh, the tank he came up against. Uh, so, for instance, he fired uh, a high-explosive shell on accident rather than an armor-piercing shell. When the uh, high-explosive shell impacted on the front of, I believe it was a Mark V, it created a bright flash from the explosion. The German tank crew assumed that they were on fire and jumped out. When in reality, he actually didn't damage the tank at all. And nice. uh, they they actually attempted to jump back in the tank when they realized what was happening. But by then, Fleeg's loader had switched to armor piercing and fucked it up. I would have just stayed out at that point. Yeah, don't jump back in the tank. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think it's incredible that like the tank crew's like, I saw something shiny, we gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Fleeg's over there like, yeah, first try. I'm, going, I'm going to assume this late in the war, these are definitely not veteran German tank crews. Those guys are probably all dead or yet to die on the Eastern Front. Oh, absolutely. Um, to the south the tank uh, of the tank battle, the 110th Infantry moved into an orchard in the middle of night under strict orders not to break light discipline, including lighting cigarettes. You want to guess what happened next? I'm assuming some nicotine fiends decided to... And that yep, happened within minutes, um, <laughs> uh, giving their position the away. Enlisted. I love it. Yeah, like, I mean, I smoked when I wasn't supposed to, like on night patrols and stuff. But there's ways that you smoke that don't give up your position. And I didn't have to fight the fucking German military to figure that out. Like, I was I was only worried about the fucking Taliban. Even I was like, hey, maybe I should cup this in my hand. <laughs> right. But. Yeah, uh, that happened within minutes. So, of course, uh, the Germans saw the light and began hammering them with mortar fire. Most of the unit's replacements were killed or wounded outright as they froze rather than trying to escape the orchard. Their survivors frantically dug in with with whatever they could hold uh, onto to include, like, one person said they used the barrel of their own rifle to just jab holes into the ground, which seems bad. I wouldn't do that. Um, As a massive German counterattack came down on them, it would, now, this uh, counterattack eventually did retake Schmidt, if that wasn't obvious enough of how successful it was being. Oh, yeah, I imagine. The, an American counterattack to retake the town made it only 300 yards before grinding to another halt. Despite all of this, the First Army Command, that being Hodges, uh, repeatedly ordered the forces on the ground to attempt to secure a different route to retake the village, which required a force to cross the Kahl Valley and link up with the 112th vet, uh, Infantry. Mm. To do that, they formed Task Force Ripple. Um, now, I'm only pointing out this name because it was commanded by, wait for it, Lieutenant Colonel Dick Ripple. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a fucking World War II name. That's a fucking name that exists. You know, and like even back then, that name had to be funny. Like, I don't want to be a t- part of a task force that's, we're going to ripple. No. Uh, ta- I want to be a fucking wave. If you called it Task Force Dick Ripple, I'll, I'll sign up for it because it's funny. 
I want to be a tsunami. Yeah, task force dick tsunami. Yeah. I don't want to be dick ripple. Unfortunately, unfortunately, dick tsunami was deployed to uh, the Pacific Theater. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> makes sense. Now, this task force was slapped together with whatever they could find. Uh, in which case, this was nine surviving medium tanks, a company of light tanks, and about 200 men, whose morale was described as, quote, shattered. Uh, <laughs> oh, in the dirt. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I, I know when I want to gather a whole bunch of soldiers together to do something, I want them to be described as shattered. However, that isn't what Division Command saw as they only saw unit sizes on paper, which labeled Task Force Ripple as a force with two companies of armor and a brigade of infantry, none of which was actually true. Things began to fall apart as soon as they stepped out. For one, the light tanks (laughs) never even showed up. (laughs) Now, the reason for it is actually better than you think. Like, obviously, it's bad that, like, a whole company of tanks didn't show up. But uh, their company commander was so against the task force plan, he simply never ordered his his unit to move out, knowing that they would all be killed. Which, we found the one good officer. Good job, man. Yeah. Like, no, fuck Dick Dick Ripple. I'm staying here. Uh, Unfortunately for the rest of task force Dick Ripple... Uh, which I will say as many times as I can, I assure you. Um, The rest of the task force moved out into the valley. Um, Now, this valley was, from all accounts that I've read, kind of turned into a several-mile-long ambush. Oh. Almost immediately uh, when the task force Dick Ripple uh, entered the valley... (laughs) 15 men were killed immediately uh, as, lo- as well as two of their commanding officers uh, Holy fuck. and they continued to be ambushed the entire way as they pushed through the valley now once they finally did make it through the valley because they did um, they linked up with the 112th infantry at that point the 112th infantry commander Colonel Peterson took one look at the task force Dick Ripple um <sighs> And knew that they were so fucked up from their push to the valley that there's no way he could use them to take the town with these as his reinforcements. Why'd you guys even come? Yeah, like, congratulations, all of that was for nothing. (laughs) I hope you're happy. (laughs) The fighting around the call was so bad that German regimental doctor Gunther Stuken managed to talk both sides into an unofficial truce so he could work together with medics from the other side on both sides wounded and dying. Saving dozens of people. Like, this this whole thing is so bad that the only two officers worth a shit is one guy who just didn't show up to work <laughs> and a Nazi. I love it. <laughs> well you get done. You FTR counseling. Okay, fuck it. <laughs> like, how the fuck is this offensive so bad that the two best-looking people is a Nazi... And a guy who just didn't show up to work. Congratulations, General Hodges. Well done. Now, meanwhile, uh, maybe Hodges or Bradley should have seen that their plan wasn't working. They actually doubled down. Hodges sent more and more men into the forest. Soldiers were loaded up from trucks from the Battle of Aachen and and, uh, sent into the forest without telling them where they were going or what they would be doing. Jesus Christ. Get into the truck. You have your gun? Good. You're you're ready. Let's go. Where are we going? You're going into the forest that has that evil aura around it. It hasn't had enough blood yet. 
now these guys are part of what's known as Operation Queen. Um, now, this is a larger attack over the Rhine River into Germany. Now, these soldiers in particular were part of a secret attack from the north of the forest. So secret that nobody bothered to tell the soldiers what in the fuck they would be doing or what their mission was. Uh, when the attack began it, uh, began, it immediately fell apart because nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> uh, soldiers found every open area of the forest, even in the direction that was supposed to be a surprise, was mined and strung up with razor wire. Oh. So the Germans 100% knew they were coming because, like, it's not that they cracked any codes or anything. It's like, you know, eventually they're probably going to come from the north. We should probably set some mines up there. Right. <laughs> These idiots are eventually going to work their way around us. I can't imagine how, how the Germans feel like, wow, th- these guys are fucking stupid. <laughs> they're, right. they're still coming. And soldiers found a, a, an additional surprise. Like, you know, razor wire is easy to deal with. You cut it or you just lay something over the top of it and walk over it, right? Yeah, like a dead body. Well, yeah, like the I'm dead sure body. i laying around. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of them. This whole place is lousy with dead people. Um, they also found that the uh, the wire had been rigged with mines, so pressure would set them what? off. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucked. And as soon as the mines started being triggered, the Germans knew that they were attacking, and they called an accurate artillery fire. Soldiers scattered and got lost in the thick forest and tripped over more mines that were waiting for them in every direction. As this was going on, Germans got up from their defensive positions and moved around paths they knew were safe to travel. And then they took up position in the soldier, the attacking soldiers' old foxholes. So while they were retreating, when they finally got back to their original position, they found it uh, occupied by Germans who were also shooting at them. God. <laughs> so they had, had to assault through their own foxholes in order to get to safety, which at this point is probably not many of them. Oh, man. (laughs) Within three days of Hodge's planned masterstroke of the northern attack, it had failed. Uh, Command and control completely broke down. Soldiers were forced to hand carry supplies, leading to a shortage in everything from food to ammo. Uh, A guy named Colonel Silbert of the 2nd Battalion, 12th Infantry Regiment said, quote, God, it was cold. We were hungry and thirsty. That night, we really prayed. In the morning, we found out that God had answered all of our prayers. It had snowed during the night, and the whole area was covered with fog. It was perfect for escaping. The supply line was littered with the dead, and the men that came with me were so damn tired they stepped on their bodies, having too tired to even bother stepping over them. This is a colonel. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, like This fucking blows. <laughs> In other areas, men had become so broken by the constant shelling and combat, they had to be ordered to eat or drink water. Spending the rest of the time crying or staring off into space, one man said, quote, The days were so terrible, I'd pray for the darkness, and then the nights were so bad, I'd pray for the daylight. Oh. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. Like, <laughs> I knew going into this that Hurtgen is a pretty awful battle. I didn't know it was this bad. I didn't either. Um, like, I picked this battle because it's, you know, it's a fuck up. It's obviously, that's our, our bread and butter. and We occasionally stray away from whenever I see something shiny. You know, our, um, it's just under, like, it's a battle that's almost unheard of in American military history. And it kind of gets glossed over because, you know, the greatest generation beat the Nazis, which, like, cool. But also, like, this one, what about this one? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, I knew it was bad. Um, 
mostly because I knew about one particular story about the battle, that being Joseph Slovic. Um, and I worked my way backwards to how bad it could be. And I was... Every page of sources I used, I was like more and more horrified. Because <laughs> like it really did seem like some Eastern Front shit or some World War One shit, not like end of World War Two U.S. military shit. It was kind of right. incredible. And I, I and I understand everybody's like, oh, the army's dumb, blah, blah, blah. I get it. You also have to understand, I already recognized my personal bias in regards to American military history and how World War II is portrayed in popular media. Chipping away at that, folks. It's why we're here. Does not mean that we are uh, uh, immune to that ourselves. By no means. So... In another area of an attack, it was an old monastery uh, that was being attacked by the 8th Regiment. And it went so badly that in the opening minutes, every company commander was killed. Which, I don't what? know how the fuck that happens. Company commander stand in the line and go first. <laughs> yeah. <that is laughs> which, actually, was one of those I'm commanders, like, just that In the whole regiment, that was like, come on, boys, follow me. It's like that scene from uh, We Were Soldiers. Come on, boys. And like, let's yeah. go. It's immediately get, or like when they're all in the overgrowth and stand up and every officer gets machine gunned one at a time. I'll get us out of here. Uh, and then uh, soon afterwards, pretty much every platoon leader and NCO. Oh, God. <laughs> at this point, some like corporal's like, fuck it. I'm standing up. Fuck this shit. I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking done with this shit. <laughs> Uh, one officer that didn't die was Major George Mobry, a D-Day veteran uh, who managed to pick his way through a minefield while under fire using only a knife, digging blindly through a foot of snow and opening a path for his soldiers behind him. <laughs> Which, like, Jesus Imagine Christ. Like, wow, the beach is cooler. Yeah, like, God, I wish this was fucking Normandy. <laughs> yeah. Now, after surviving that, he suicide charged three different German bunkers, taking them out one at a time and then walking away only slightly wounded. See, that's what the company commanders wanted to do. Yeah, he see he uh, he knew that the Germans could only kill so many commanders and he simply waited his turn. Exactly. But Mabry turning into an 80s action movie hero didn't quite change anything about the battle. Hodges was throwing hundreds and thousands of his men into a buzzsaw without rest. Nobody gained any ground, and units were given explicit orders to advance regardless of losses and have been annihilated. At no point did Hodges ever figure out logistics like food, water, or ammo, and fuel began to run short everywhere else. The few tanks that they did have began to break down from overuse and lack of spare parts or lack of fuel. Or people? Or, you know, thankfully, that's one thing about tank crews is generally if the tank is still running, it's because the people inside are still alive. (laughs) That's good. Normally, one breaks along with the other. Instead of, like, slowing the advance to let his logistics catch up, or which would still be, like, a bad choice to make, he just continued to commit more and more and more people into the fight, which had been lost and pointless ever since it began. There has to be someone, like one of his aides, telling him like that he's doing a great job, and he just keeps going with it. Every like week, Omar Bradley comes by in a Jeep to give him a gold star, like out of yeah. a fucking homework report. <laughs> You're doing great! Every single new unit ran into the same problem as the unit they replaced. The 8th Infantry Division was the next to be sent into the forest. The first unit in on November 22nd was the 121st Infantry Regiment. And as was the case with its predecessors, the 121st jumped off with no intelligence on enemy positions or adequate maps. 
Colonel Tom Cross, executive officer of the divisions, said that the attacks were not successful. Quote, each time they attempted to move, a rain of mortar and anti-tank shells dropped down on them. All fire breaks in the woods were mined, and apparently communications from the forward positions to the guns and mortar positions were perfect. Morale of the troops is very poor. Other regiments have been chewed to pieces in this area. Within three days, the 121st counted to 50 killed and almost 600 wounded, a loss of nearly 20% of their unit. (laughs) Like, it's just casualty numbers that are just unheard of. The toll for the 4th Division alone added up to close to 4,000. In spite of the appalling casualties, the GIs kept being ordered to attack. The 1st Army upped its ante, bringing on the 5th Armored Division, the 83rd Infantry Division, the 2nd Ranger Battalion, and ultimately portions of the 82nd Airborne. In less than three months, six U.S. Army divisions would be fed into the forest monster. All of them would be torn to shreds and spit back out combat ineffective. Six? Six. <laughs> what the fuck is going through this guy's head? I, I, it's, it's, it's incredible he wasn't fired. And like that, that's the right. thing. is like It has to come down to the fact that Omar Bradley liked him too much. And I mean, Omar Bradley is a dumbass himself because, I mean, this is ultimately his, his attack. Right, he's the ultimate authority on this. Though technically, I guess Eisenhower over him, but still, like he could have stopped this whenever he wanted. He could have told the Hodges that was enough. Right. The nonstop attacks finally came to a halt in December, not because American commanders finally got a fucking clue, but because Germans launched Operation Watch on the Rhine, better known as the Battle of the Bulge. The topic I think I've said before will eventually come an entire series to at some point. But even when the German offensive, uh watch on the Rhine broke down, the Americans once again began attacking through the forest. Even after getting their shit kicked in and their last major hurrah of the German war machine died, the German defenders of the forest refused to budge. And now the attacking Americans are fighting through snowdrifts that were knee high in some places, making everything suck a million times more. Oh, finally by February, it was all over. The German defenders February? February, yeah. The German defenders vastly outnumbered, but without the constant stream of new reinforcements that their enemies had, were finally driven out of the forest. The newly composed US seventy eighth division was sent into the forest, and it was the straw that broke the camel's back in this case. They advanced over the territory that every US force had died taking and losing for months, finding hundreds of booby trapped bodies along the way that had been left behind. Schmidt fell for the last time as the Germans forced the Americans to fight them room by room, cellar by cellar over the controls of the dam that the Americans, again, didn't even care about. But in one last fuck you, the Germans blew the last dam they controlled anyway. Billions of gallons of water mixed with snow and rain made the Ruhr uncrossable. Fifteen divisions of the U.S. Army meant to drive to Berlin sat on the other side of the river for two more weeks, waiting for the uh, floodwaters to die down. This meant that at the end of the day, the entire offensive and the entire battle plan was completely in vain and pointless because it happened anyway. Good move. The Germans themselves were astounded at how bad the American battle plan was saying in a captured German document that, quote, in combat in wooded areas, the Americans showed himself completely unfit. So, after five months of pointless struggle, the Americans suffered 24,000 dead, wounded, captured, or missing in action. 
plus another 9,000 disabled by non-combat injuries. Now, for your um, comparison here, U.S. military casualties in World War II. As, uh, this is, so if anybody's wondering, this is by the National World War II Museum. Army and Air Force, and they were one at the time. So this is actually a little bit higher than you know on the ground since the Army Air Force, or the Army Air Corps rather, suffered horrible casualties. Oh, they got <laughs> fucked up. Uh, according to this, the U.S. Army and Air, Air Force had 318,000 killed and another almost 600,000 wounded. Now, 24,000 of these are from Hurtgen Forest, which is like in comparison to any other battle is grossly like higher. Um, now, if you compare that to the entire Siegfried line campaign, 33,000 of those dead are from that. So like even the entire campaign, the vast majority of the casualties came from the Hurricane forest. And it's, it is hard to find another battle that churned up more army casualties in totality in comparison to the, the end number than the battle of the Hurricane forest, which I cannot say enough here was pointless. <laughs> it was like absolutely pointless. Right. I'm still in shock. Holy fuck. Now German losses are questionable. Nobody's entirely sure. Um, it's thought to, um, they lost, you know, less than 30,000 killed and wounded. Um, but they also s- committed significantly less uh, to the battle, but their numbers are hard to come by. So that is the Battle of the Hurricane Forest, but we will have a part three. Part three will be released as a bonus episode next month in May. That is the case of Eddie Slovak, the, uh, the only U.S. soldier to be executed for desertion since the Civil War. Um, and it came, Jesus. Yeah, and it came out during... It, it's all um, related to the Battle of the Hurricane Forest. So it's a downer, but... Very important episode uh, to pair with, with this series. So, you, I don't blame him. I have a hell of an episode for you, my friend. Now, uh, okay. that will be available to everybody it. at the $5 level uh, on Patreon. But um, for people at any level of the Patreon, we have questions from the Legion. See, I'm getting better at this. Nice. Uh, and uh, today's question of the Legion actually ties in pretty well to this. Um, and I feel like the only reason they didn't use... Courtney Hodges as an example, simply because this episode isn't out yet. Um, but if you had a choice and you have to pick one, who would you want to serve under uh, before? Oh, this has to do with high casualties, huh? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Between um, Napoleon in Russia, mm-hmm. uh, Saddam Hussein during the Iran-Iraq war, or, Lu- okay. or Luigi Cadorna. Oh, I'll go ahead and start off. I'd rather be under Saddam. Uh, I don't know. I want to see the wizards. <laughs> You know, I feel like, I mean, you're, you're an NCO. I was, I feel like we're not high enough up to get an audience with the wizard. Fuck. You're right. And for anybody who is um, new to this episode, if anybody's new to this, this podcast, um, you're missing, if you don't understand the wizard, you're missing a lot of deep podcast lore from years ago. Go listen to our Iraq war series. It'll take you about 10 hours. (laughs) One of the best shirts I wear. Um, I would pick Napoleon for obvious reasons. Is that a bias? It's absolutely a bias, yes. Um, mostly okay. because uh, I think I have a better chance of living. Uh, actually, I'm, I think statistically, probably the uh, 
I, oh, whoever picks Iraq has the best chance of surviving. Well, either way, with my luck, if I pick any of them, I'm dead. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think uh, I would just feel better that I fought for Napoleon rather than Saddam Hussein. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I'd do something stupid. Like, right when we're about to SP, I'd fucking trip. Die. I mean, that's better than getting gassed and choking on your it's own lung fluid, your, your, your own internal juices. Absolutely. So, Nick, thank you for joining me um, for part two. You'll obviously be joining me for part three. I hope I'll ever, Can't wait. I hope everybody I else heard, does, I too. So- um, and uh, until next time, uh, don't get blown up near trees. I don't know. Yeah, stay away from the forest. Stay away from the forest. It's fueled by human blood.